Hello, I'm Jane Daly and this is my podcast for people who know. As an independent thought leader coach and work-life advocate, I'm curious about people who are accelerating their work and life. And whilst finding their own balance, they have also found time to inspire others to do the same. My interest in Ian McElwain started when Ian and I were working on a project for LinkedIn Learning. Ian, I'm delighted to welcome you to the Work-Life Time Machine today. Thanks, Jane. Really appreciate the invitation and great to be with you having this conversation. I always am energized and inspired with our conversations, in most part because we share a lot of common interests. Uh, One is building businesses. Another one would be Uh, a healthy obsession, I would call it, with data and the insights that we can draw from that data, most particularly around the the learning environment, as you described. And you also introduced me to a term called friction hunting, which I've kept with me since since you mentioned it, uh, which I think really speaks to how we think about making improvements, whether that's in business or, or whether it's in learning. So really looking forward to the conversation. Thanks for having me. Ian, that's great. And I, I love that term, friction hunter. And, uh, you know, I believe in that, you know, practice that, apply that, because then you can add value, can't you? It's like, well, where is that? Because particularly for learning, I mean, you and I met when, uh, you know, we were talking about the role that, that LinkedIn can play in corporate learning. And, you know, friction hunting is so prominent in that space, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think sometimes we're we're thinking a lot about how do we engage learners and how do we make sure people are understanding their responsibility to to learn within the within a corporation. And sometimes that just means looking for the obstacles or looking for the friction and taking it away. Definitely. So just before we get into the time machine, I'll warm it up in the background there. But tell us what you're up to at the moment. Yeah, so as you said, I work in LinkedIn, specifically LinkedIn Learning, and we are driving engagement with corporate learners, helping corporations to develop a a culture of learning, whether that's to help with their digital transformation, help to bridge skills gaps, or just help to make themselves an employer of choice and make sure that they're employees are curious they're learning they're engaged and so they're contributing to the organization's mission and being productive so i spend a lot of my time talking with learning and development professionals people professionals hr professionals about how to achieve that and how we can help what a lucky man you are ian Um, it's a great it's a great great job absolutely love uh, being in this space one of the things that i really appreciate is working with professionals in this space just seem to have in their DNA this drive to help other people to be the best that they can but also to collaborate and I found that that's really important over this last nine months or so Uh, L&D professionals people leaders coming together in their own community to work on on some of the common challenges. Absolutely I I totally agree with you and there's um, you know that there's 
a, a real challenge on the table at the moment um, as we face things changing, um, which have been amplified and accelerated by COVID-19, but were already happening anyway. But let's get in this time machine and explore digital first learning, which I know is a real passion of yours and mine and, and for many people out there. And let's sort of get into the detail as to why and what difference it can make. Are you ready to get in the time machine here with me today? I am ready. Fabulous. Okay, well, um, let's step into the time machine. And what does it feel like for you? First of all, I would say I'm a little reticent to jump into a, a time machine. It's a little nerve wracking to go anywhere other than now. I happen to be one of those people who have been impacted by Pablo Coelho and uh, Eckhart Tolle and the, the power of living in the moment. So get going anywhere else into the future <laughs> or, the, or the past is somehow counter to uh, where I want to be. I think there's no time like the present. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, let's well, do well, it. Buckle up. Buckle up. Let's do it. I love it. I love your curiosity. Well, let's buckle up. And uh, I'm in, con in control at the moment. Um, and because you're strapped in, you have no choice. So off we oh, go. Right, right, right. Okay. <laughs> in your hands. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go off to 2015. So we're not going too far, in, but I think it's a really interesting year. Let me set the scene. Um, it was the first year when we really started to hear the term, the fourth industrial revolution, the Internet of Things, it's called. And, you know, since that time, this term has been evolving. And actually, it's all about changing the way we work, the way we live and the way that we relate to each other. And the role that we play as humans is changing. As I mentioned before, has been amplified and accelerated by COVID, but these things were already coming. Um, some other things that were going on in that year, it was a, a challenging year for terrorist attacks. So we're, stealing, we're still dealing with some of those today, in particular, the Charlie Hebdo issue in Paris, which again, has reared its head recently. But on a positive note, the British astronaut Tim Peake was the first Briton to enter the International Space Station, really exciting. And um, Adele released Hello, which was an international bestseller. One of the other things that was going on in that year was that the driverless car was becoming popular. It was said to be the invention of it, but we know that that stuff was happening way beyond that but it became common knowledge that the driverless car was around what was happening for you at that time well 2015 i was still working at linkedin but i was working on our talent solutions business which is still our largest business and it's the the tool set that recruiters would use if they want to reach out to a member on the linkedin platform and talk to them about a, a new opportunity in their in their career it's also the the tool set that organizations would use to put themselves out there in terms of their employer brand and we had for a couple of years in LinkedIn at that point been working on what we call the economic graph which is probably where you know we, we share our our love of big data this is where where it really started for me the economic graph really simply put is everything that you could imagine on the linkedin platform that you would see as a member so your member um, profile the job that you do the skills that you have all of the things that you've chosen to to add to your profile and all of the companies who are on the on the platform uh, the schools 
the um, the jobs that are advertised and the skills that are needed for those jobs, and then underlay underlay by all of the the knowledge that people are sharing with each other, whether that's sharing posts or writing long form blogs or whatever that that is. But if you can imagine all of those bits of data as nodes on the graph, we were using this data to draw and then share insights with members and customers who we were working with to help understand the, the world of work and the, the broader economy. So you could imagine we could draw insights based on if somebody wanted to be a, a chief marketing officer in the future, which schools were producing chief marketing officers, what skills would you need, people who have been on that path in their in previous uh, their previous career what is the path that they have taken like what jobs have they done which industries were they being successful in? and looking at these types of, of insights we're working with companies to understand that if they wanted to for example open a, a center of excellence with a particular discipline they could choose which literally which city or place might they invest in so that they could tap into a, a talent pool in the most appropriate place or if they couldn't do that where was the talent already within their organization what skills did they have or what skills adjacencies were there for, for people to to move along what we didn't have at that time though was the vehicle for people to learn those skills and in 2015 linkedin acquired lynda.com which for me was the final piece of the puzzle for us to be able to not only share those insights related to skills gaps and, and talent progression and, and so on, but also have this way to help people to get those skills by online learning. Lynda.com was really well established at the time, huge and well-respected library of, of online digital learning content. And we took that in, in 2015 and started to, to build it out to become the platform that we call LinkedIn Learning right now. And I moved from the talent solutions part of the business to LinkedIn Learning as we, we know it now to integrate Lynda.com, the people, process, start to work on the on the product and, and start to um, get the, the solution known out in the in the industry not as lynda.com anymore but lynda.com within this broader ecosystem or economic graph of, of LinkedIn. And it's fascinating isn't it is is when you think about a digital first world and you think about the ecosystem that you were describing there and the importance of being led by that insight um, but, but making sure that insight was coming from multiple sources as, as you were describing to me how important is this insight for corporate learning it's it's really important from the point of view of understanding where people are in their skills right now and and being able to take that skills inventory with any with any uh, population because people are, are on LinkedIn they're using it they're updating their profile and so it's it's real time but if I go even even beyond that for organizations then to start to have an insight into not only which skills are needed now but potentially which skills will be needed in two year or, or five years in their in their industry by looking for the signals that we can see overall in the in the data it becomes really important for them to ensure themselves in into that future what I mean by that is let's say for example we see uh, some jobs posted with a specific skill that is 
required as part of the, the, the job description, what's, what's being called for. It might not be the most common skill that's being called for currently in that role, but if we see it growing, then that's a, that's a signal in the big data that that skill is going to be very much in demand in the future, possibly within that industry, but possibly also within uh, industries that you could consider as similar. An example here would be if we see a skill growing in a, in a digital space in a big IT company. Well, because banks, they're not IT companies, but they're becoming more and more dig digitalized themselves and maybe competing on the edges of IT with fintech and so on, they can predict that they are likely to need those skills in the future. They might look back and say we have the, those skills within the organization now or not, but, also, but definitely need to have a plan in place in order to, to uh, predict what they are. So that's for the, the corporations. For us, internally, even when we think about the, the online courses that we're, we're developing, the digital first library that we're, we're building, then we need to look for those signals in the big data to decide which courses should we be building right now so that we're addressing a need that's coming. Absolutely. And, it, you know, it's a known fact that, um, you know, people professionals, L&D professionals are struggling with the use of insights, data, evidence. It's not that they don't believe in it, but they're struggling to make sure that it's credible, reliable, trustworthy. What advice would you give them? So my advice would be to use the data, not the data so much as the insights, and there's a distinction there, right? Use the insights from various different sources, at least try to triangulate. So the data that I'm suggesting, the insights that I'm suggesting that would come from the LinkedIn economic graph are best used alongside the insights from within an organization that only the, the organization itself can, can understand and likely a couple of other sources. Absolutely, and I, I totally agree with that. And also, you know, it's that thing of, it's okay that it's not familiar, but the only way for it to be, for you to become familiar is to, you know, dive in yourself. You know, you can't learn to swim from reading a book, so you've got to dive in. But also work with people that are further ahead with you or experts in their field to really understand you know, the value of making it um, credible, reliable, trustworthy, you know, even yeah. if you feel alone with that, you know, and I know when I was getting the bug for this, um, and I think I've always had it um, because I've had a commercial mindset um, for all of my career. Um, so, you know, insights, data, evidence has always been part of that. I think the other thing there is it's okay that the, the data and the insights aren't perfect either we're not looking for a hundred percent predictability with a magic crystal ball we're looking for direction and that's whether it's in business or or learning skills caps or, or anything else what we're what we're really looking for here is to make the best decision that we can with the best data and insights that we have available right now and this has been so important recently you know the last period with the with COVID-19 and the, the lockdown when business has been changing so rapidly, all of our contexts and lives have been changing so rapidly. We're not making perfect decisions. We're just making the best decisions that we can based on what we know right now. But to your point about not feeling alone and looking outside to, to others who have maybe 
experimented or gone on a similar journey or who have made similar decisions or are making similar decisions I think that's really important and as I was saying earlier particularly in learning and development in um, human resource people leadership I really find this openness to share which I think is going to be not just helpful but really critical as we go forward there's a very cool quote that I, I like by um, a science fiction writer called William Gibson and he says the future is already here it's just not very evenly distributed which means that you can go on this exploration safari and go out and look for other organizations or, or people who have gone through what you're going through right now they're, they're in a way they're living in the future I love that Ian Let's move on in this time machine, I think, um, and get to a place where you're much more comfortable. Um, the present, so yes, please. Thank you. <laughs> absolutely. So let's take you out of the past into the present. Um, and I and uh, for our listeners there, um, you know, Ian and I are smiling as we say that. But we've arrived here on 2020 into this climate. So you know, tell me, you know, and our listeners, what you're seeing, and um, you know, how you believe this climate is affecting people. Yeah, so if I, I start with the, the lens of L&D leaders, HR leaders that I work with every day, uh, I, I think that their, the scope of their role is broadening. And what I mean by that is, I think increasingly employees, well, just us people working in, in, these, uh, in organizations, are looking to the organization to help to take a stance at least in some instances solve some of the biggest challenges that are facing us right now and I'm talking about of course dealing with working from home and mental health and, and wellness considerations that come along with that but I'm also talking about um, systemic racism, inequalities that we've experienced, and I would say that this last nine months has really shone a light on as well. I'm also talking about sustainability, climate change, these very big challenges that we're facing at the moment. And as you said, somehow, in the, you know, in the, this last period, COVID-19 has been a catalyst and accelerated some of these things that already were happening. Skills gaps, AI automation and the impact on, on the future of jobs. All of these things were already happening, but we're looking to the, the organization to take a stance and sometimes solve. The organization then in turn will look to the L&D leaders and the human resource, the, the um, people agenda leaders to take a stance on these. And so I'm seeing the the L&D leaders specifically that I'm working with, taking more of a, a seat at the strategic table. They're overwhelmed in a way because these things are, are landing on them. Um, but they're not things that are unfamiliar and they're things that the learning and development leader has been thinking about. And they're things that now they have the opportunity to, to start to, to impact. It's, it, these are really interesting observations, Ian, and I, I, I absolutely agree with you. The thing that I would also add is that uh, what I am observing is that the things that would traditionally have worked are not working. So I personally believe this is a really good thing because it's making us think and learn differently. Um, and this is where something like Digital First comes in. Um, you mentioned re remote working, people having to 
now switch from what they were doing, which the evidence tells us was, was mainly face-to-face, -face, some blended, but mainly still face-to-face. -face. And it's not about just lifting and shifting, is it? It's about making sure that when we think and learn differently with a future-focused lens, that we have to adapt to what we were doing. And even to the place of saying, well, is that even relevant anymore? Um, should we be really just starting again? What's your view on that? Yeah, so in terms of, of relevance, we've we've seen uh, a, a huge uptake in digital learning. It makes sense, right? We've seen a huge uptake in everything digital, whether that's Zoom or online shopping or obviously learning. The, the topics that people were learning when we first had to all go home and, and start working from home were around how to be productive using Zoom or, or Teams or you know, choose, your, choose your digital uh, platform that people would, would use. And then they quite quickly moved on to um, how do people make sure that they're being productive, you know, managing your time at, at home in that kind of situation. And people were learning about within that, you know, managing their, their responsibilities at home with, with childcare, making sure that they were able to balance the work, also draw their boundaries. And then they were moving on to um, more wellness topics, dealing with stress and mental health and the importance of managing your own, your own energy. And at the same time, all of the, the, you know, the, the normal topics that we were already seeing people learn about, like um, you know, the, the latest digital topics or being productive in your work by using um, Excel or you know, all those things still, still going on, but probably more in a uh, pulling on the resources in a just-in-time nature rather than waiting for that classroom training to come up or, or even having to wait for a virtual instructor-led training. Um, I do believe, just talking about virtual instructor-led training, that there's absolutely a place for this. Right? It's not all about just consuming courses when you when you need them and getting unstuck on the problem that you that you need to to fix. I also see the learning and development professional serving a very important role in bringing people together, even though it's virtually bringing people together to, to learn together at a time when people are perhaps feeling more isolated than ever before and maybe a pub quiz not working anymore maybe you know just a, a happy hour online is not working anymore that's that's adding to your to your fatigue of, of being online but coming together in a in a very purposeful way so learning about what uh, um what's important in the organization right now in terms of the organization's mission just connecting with people to be together learning for for something that's that it feels like i'm going to really use this afterwards or learning what does actionable uh, allyship mean for your organization when it comes to um you know a, a relevant to uh, topic for for us all to you know one of the challenges for us all to to cope with so i don't i do think that there's a, a an absolutely really critical part of this ever broadening role that the the l d leadership is is taking on right now or the, the learning professional is, is taking on right now ian you mentioned virtual instructor-led training and there being a place for that i mean you know let's come back to digital first 
learning because really what we're saying is there's many aspects to that like anything you say you know we, we often we love our terminology in uh, in, in in hr and l and d particularly we've, we've, we're definitely famous for it often called fluff um but uh, you know when you think about digital first there's many aspects to it and you know i i believe what you were saying there is you know this need to mix it up to be really aware of what all those different things are um you know coming back to evidence and insights you were sharing there how stuff has changed um and as a professional in this space you need to be able to tell that story but also maybe get to think about you know predicting what is required next because let's remember learning although you and i are in the present at the moment in the time machine learning is um something that happens after an event isn't it it's something that or, or doesn't um and that that's that's another podcast we'll do another day as to maybe why it doesn't happen but also um in the climate that you've described it's difficult to learn because your head is filled with um being overwhelmed or um not sure you know what you should be doing or feeling stressed or anxious so how do we cope with that yeah so i think there's a couple of aspects here one is in terms of the learner in an organization there's what we would like to call a, a push and a pull and the, the push would be the organization understanding what skills are going to be needed in the in the short term what skills need to to be developed for the organization to deliver on projects and mission immediately and as much as the organization needs to predict that and then be a little prescriptive with the the learners about what they should be learning right now there's also this pull that you need to develop which speaks to the the relevance part before and there the the learning organization's responsibility is to set a very broad table of different learning experiences different topics that people can can pull on so for example just because you're working in a the, let's say a customer related customer service team right now i don't know whether you might want to become a project manager in your future so i need to be able to allow you as a learner to to go out and look for those project management skills and not worry too much about whether those skills will be helpful in the in the current job but really emphasize the point that if you're curious developing yourself then you're likely to be more energized and engaged so that's the the first thing i'd say the other part in terms of you know, it's difficult to learn right now because we we are overwhelmed with um, our childcare situation you know, whatever whatever the situation might be um, it doesn't have to be just childcare. It can be we're overwhelmed because we're we're feeling like the, feeling alone in our in our spaces at the moment. But the organisation's responsibility here is to help the employees to understand that personal development is not an, an indulgence or something that you do after you've had your your dinner and just squeeze in an hour and a half at the end of the end of the day this is part of your responsibility in fact it's part of your responsibility to to get ready for the next role because the organization needs you to and it's part of your responsibility to motivate and inspire yourself by growing by taking your your um your development seriously and 
the leaders in the organization, so now beyond the L&D leaders, the HR leaders, talking about the, the C-suite, leaders in the organization ought to model that. They ought to make sure that there's space in the, the working hours or the working week in somehow for time to be dedicated to that because it's not an indulgence, it's, it's important, it's critical. And they actually ought to make sure that people understand that it's part of their responsibility. You know, it's part of, it's part of the job. I think about this actually similar to, to um, energy management or, or wellness or, and, and mental health. There's, there's the, the personal growth and, and development, I call it not an indulgence, it's critical. Same with looking after yourself and being well enough to, to do the work and being productive. So taking that time for the, for the walk or seeing to the appointments that you need to or doing your exercise or your meditation, whatever works for you, not an indulgence at all. This is not to be squeezed in and you have to go to bed later and wake up earlier because somebody told you you need to do 20 minutes meditation. No, this is part of the, the responsibility as a, as a professional to make sure that you're investing time in here to be well enough to be as productive as you possibly can. And Ian, you know, there is enough evidence out there to prove actually that when we intertwine, um, you know, all of those things that you've mentioned, actually, you thrive. And, you know, pressing pause is as important as going at full, t- full steam. It's all about the balance of, of, of everything that you said. One thing that I just want to pick up on before we move on, and I think we can pick it up as you and I go forward in the time machine, which um, hopefully you'll be okay with, we'll check in a minute, is this idea of really thinking about the capability over the job profile. What's your stance on that? The capability versus the the job profile. I mean, I think that more and more organisations are looking for the, the let's, let's call them transferable skills, up to and including attitude, by the way, uh, when they're when they're looking to hire, and why? It's because the the shelf life of skills is getting shorter and shorter. So I did. I don't need to know if somebody can program in Java right now necessarily. I might need to know if somebody is uh, able to learn something quickly. It sounds like a bit of a cliche, you know. We bring that up in interviews, but I do believe that that's more and more important. The reason I believe that is because when we look at what employers are looking for when they're hiring, and so it makes sense that this is still what they're looking for when they've got engaged in employees, hopefully engaged employees, that they're looking for these um, skills, with the, the, the hard skills, but they're also looking for the, let's not call them soft skills, but human skills and critical skills, which are adaptability, growth mindset, creativity, ability to to communicate um attitude obviously harder to to measure but something to be also something to be developed as a as a skill um eq as much as as much as iq and that's what i think of when i when i think about the capability looking for people to bring these to the table if not already fully formed at least have the attitude to be working on developing them because they are going to be lifelong as opposed to the harder skills which are going to come and go. And I think it's really exciting because everything you described there are things that we are best at as humans. 
and actually make us happiest when you look at the evidence. Um, you know, a lot of people don't feel happy at work because they feel like they're in the mundane. What you describe there is being authentic, being personal, being human, as I call it. So I think it's really exciting. And some of the things that I'm looking at at the moment are LQ, so learning quotient, something that is not new that's been around, but just being able to help people measure where they are on those scales, uh, whether that's a, a, an individual or a team, a, a whole organisation, or even WQ, which is all about wellbeing quotients. So mm. some, some things to think about there. So, yeah. right, let's go to 2030, Ian. I'm setting the clock and off okay. we go. Ready? How are you feeling about getting to 2030? Feeling good. <laughs> I love it. I'm taking you out of your comfort zone. This is great. This is great. You're, are you sweating there? I'm just checking no. in there. Yeah. <laughs> your palms are a bit sweaty. I love it. I love I'm it. Holding love tight. It. My knuckles are white. <laughs> I promise I won't psychoanalyze you. I promise. Right. Um, <laughs> so let's arrive at 2030. Now, um, just before we open the windows and see what's going on, it's predicted that by 2030, less people will be in full-time employment. Well, we would have dealt with some of these humongous skills gaps, the reskilling and outskilling and upskilling revolution that, that was coming our way in 2020. So uh, let's press the button, make the windows clear, and let's see what you and me can see. What are you seeing in 2030? What are you hoping for? What am I hoping for? So I am, <laughs> a, I am a born optimist. I'm not sure that we will have solved all of these things. 2030 happens to be the year where we do have a lot of goals set against sustainability and, and climate change. And so I hope that we have some of these carbon net zero goals achieved by, by there and we have a much clearer picture about like solving that and that we have more and more people all the time taking that you know social responsibility to to um play their play their part i hope that the diversity and equality agenda has progressed considerably uh, you know that there's that some of the things that we were talking about earlier that have that the COVID-19 situation has, has shone a light on the systemic racism, the pressure on more underprivileged groups, the pressure on women in the workforce under, under these um, situations. I hope that all of this has, has progressed. I hope that um, business and particularly financial institutions have progressed their own understanding of their responsibility in helping solve these things and what I mean by that is them understanding that we need to develop and invest in jobs that are related to sustainability jobs that are related to solving these bigger problems and then start to invest in the skills development in order to match those those jobs of the of the future so that's what I hope for um, I'm really interested in you know, this idea. I've been thinking a lot about this idea of people being less in full-time employment or, or working less. And I'm not sure where this is going to go, honestly. I'm on the, I'm on the fence. We, we talk quite a lot in um, you know, 
HR leadership and and learning and development leadership on the people agenda of how do we cater for uh, millennials. Obviously, the millennials are already the the vast majority of the working population right now. And I'm I'm not crazy about the term in a way because I feel like even though I'm far from being a millennial, I have more in common with a, a millennial than than not. You know, I live in a digital world and 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 so on. I might not be digital native, but I certainly that's my experience right now. But one of the things which does distinguish uh, a millennial from pre- previous generations is that they, are more, they will be more likely to have a side gig. And this was something that you know, certainly when I was starting my career, I would, would never have really, really considered this. I'd just be working at my job and not working at some, on something at the side, which would maybe need different or complementary skills but would maybe tap into my passion in a in a different way and so that's big we know that millennials have that going on much more than than ever before and than ever in previous generations and i don't necessarily see that going away so maybe people are working different not less the other thing that i was thinking about with with all of this is uh, we talk about digitalization you don't normally talk about digitalization without talking about increasing productivity. And yet we are all working just as hard as just as hard as ever, it seems, with just as much pressure as ever. And so can I imagine that by 2020 we've somehow reconciled this this idea that we can all just, you know, sit back and work work less? I'm I'm not sure. And I'm in a way, it's making me think I'm not sure people want to, but I don't know. We, we're, we're, I'm too far out of my comfort zone now, Jane. I, I have no idea what's going to happen in 2030. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, well, look, you, you relax there, but I, I, I you know, I want to come with you to this world that you, you have created. And I, I believe it is in our gift to do it. But we have to see these things now, you know. As humans, you know, we've got to become gardeners. Um, you know, this isn't my terminology. Um, some of the amazing people that inspire me with their work, um, you know, Peter Senge being one of them, talks about planting these seeds for something to grow and be beautiful. Um, and so we have to seed this now. There is the opportunity for all of the above, Ian. And quite frankly, um, you know, from my perspective, I, I, I you know, really do believe that we have a responsibility to make that happen for future generations. So it's within our gift to do that. Yeah, um, I love that. And, you know, uh, let's hope we're not talking about digital first. Quite frankly, people that were born in a, in, in a world where they didn't know any difference won't be thinking in that way at all. We can learn so much from having that mindset of saying, well, let's do all of that in that way. And actually, then we can be more human. Um, because one of the things that did come out of, you know, remember we're in 2030, 2020, is we saw a number of elements of the, you know, aspect of community growing again, of connecting, even if it is in a square box (laughs) that's called a video conference session. Your mind doesn't know the difference between reception and uh, perception and reality. And once you get past that, you start to, you know, you know, connect. You and I haven't seen each other face to face for a very long time, but I absolutely feel like I'm in the same time machine with you. I think so. Yes. <laughs> I, I think there, um, I think there are so many things that have that have happened during this difficult period, which I hope that will be pulled through. 
And so just as much as we were talking about catalyst and acceleration for some of the, the, the bigger challenges, if I look at the place where I, I live now and how the community was coming together at the start to help each other out, and then even more recently, uh, thinking creatively about how are we going to make Halloween a different but still good experience for the kids, that sense of community in my in my neighborhood I hadn't experienced before, and so I hope that that will pull through. Shining a light on some of the big uh, topics, you know, like um, the systemic racism and, and white privilege that has, that has happened is not necessarily uh comfortable for for many people but it's absolutely a positive thing in in my mind and something that we should pull through and um hopefully that will be you know it will accelerate us to a, a better place by 2030 and there's there's a number of things even thinking more deeply about our our wellness and energy management in a way that we've been forced to we we shouldn't stop doing that when we go back to you know whatever normal life resembles after after the uh the lockdown's finished and we we have a vaccine and you know whatever takes us to the next chapter so yeah i do believe there's so many things that have happened we need to think about not bouncing back from here but bouncing forward to an even better place because of what we've pulled through from this I like that, bouncing forward. And I'm going to be really brave now, Ian. I'm actually going to hand the, my time machine over to you. Uh, just before we go back in the timeline, that, that concept of bouncing forward, I learned that from one of the LinkedIn Learning authors who is an organisational expert and was talking about uh, resilience, not just being about bouncing back, but rather bouncing forward. So there you go. That's one of my... Uh, what that's Consider that a plug. And... Um, Hopefully, Ian, it wasn't so bad coming forward in the, in, in the time machine. No, 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 it wasn't. It wasn't bad at all. It's it's fun to think of a of a, a brighter future. And I actually enjoyed looking forward. I think better than I enjoyed looking back. You did, but, but I will re, re, uh, reassert that there's no better place than the present, even <laughs> with challenges, because challenges are. Um, there for us to, to look at solving and I love what you said about planting the seeds. Absolutely so look you can get your ruby slippers on and do no place like home but where are we going? Okay all right we're going back to the present. I like it so we go back to 2020. Yes. Okay so tell us um, why you brought us back here and what you want to gain from taking us back to 2020. Yeah so again this is this is personal to me I think that there's the more that we live in the present accept the present the better we are going to be overall i like to look in the the, the rearview mirror just very briefly i like to look at the, the the data in the dashboards to see where we're going but i really think that we ought to be looking around us and looking at the the road as we're as we're driving that's my that's my personal thing um uh, in terms of 2020 though i do think that every obstacle is an is an opportunity and what bigger and better obstacle 2020 has been and what better opportunities have we do we have to um to, to solve these challenges together absolutely Ian. and you know we still don't really understand where covid19 has um developed from as uh, so you know we've got no idea what we have done as humans to um you know create this issue ourselves so the more we can learn about that the better um, and you know I love your idea about the gift of the present 
I really do. And, you know, it makes you better when you, um, you know, when you are present anyway, doesn't it? And you stop worrying about what happened yesterday or what you could do tomorrow. It's about well, what, with the gifts and the resources and the thinking, whatever I have today, what is the best I can do within the moment? What a great um, way to, to leave it. Thank you, Jane. Yeah, absolutely. Ian, I hope that I haven't um, scared the hell out of you by taking you to the past and the future today. Oh. No, no, no. It's been, it's been, uh, it's been fun. Out of my comfort zone. That's good. It's always good to get out of your comfort zone. I love it. And you know what? Great insights that you've shared with us today. And you know the real importance of you know this digital first mindset and um, you know using those insights and data to really inform um, people to really get the best um out of this learning environment that we, we we need to create so i love that thank you so much ian my pleasure thank you for having me jane really appreciate it and uh, for any of the listeners um, if you want to delve de deeper um, ian has shared some things that will allow you to delve deeper into the topics that he has mentioned today and please subscribe to the podcast on people who know because there's so many other amazing conversations to help you and uh, find out more about what people are up to in their work life thank you we shall leave it there <laughs>